Hello and welcome to CM Conversations. I'm today's host, Lyle King, a water specialist and business manager at CM Industrial. This episode is all about water reuse, and I'm joined by Guillaume Claret and Alejandro Stanielio from leading water and wastewater technology company, H2O Innovation. Together, we discuss the importance of water reuse to combat drought, as well as the impact that reuse systems have had in areas where they've been successfully implemented. I also asked Guillaume and Alejandro about how we can remove the stigma surrounding reused water, and we discuss examples of industry leaders that are working hard to educate the public about this. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to everyone listening today. This is uh, another episode of CM Conversations. We're, we're joined here today by uh, Guillaume Claret and Alejandro Stagnolio from uh, H2O Innovation. Um, the purpose of the conversation today is very much centered around the topic of water reuse. Uh, but I suppose before we get into that, I'll pass over to both uh, Guillaume and Alejandro for a very quick introduction to who you guys are and uh, the company you work for and obviously the work that you guys do. So, uh, Guillaume, I'll, I'll pass over to you. Uh, could you just give, like I said, just give us a quick introduction to yourself? Yeah, thank you, Lyle. I'm uh, happy to be here today to speak about water reuse. So uh, I'm Guillaume Claret. I'm uh, the Chief Operating Officer at H2O Innovation. Uh, my background essentially is uh, engineering. I've, I've, I've uh, held a lot of different positions uh, within, the, within the company over the last 20 years now that we've been building H2O. I'm a physics engineer by background uh, with an MBA uh, from uh, University of San Diego in California. Uh, I also serve on uh, various industry associations like uh, the IDA, International Desalination Association, AMTA, uh, WEF here in North America. Uh, so I, I try to get involved also in the um, you know nonprofit and industry industrial associations part of our of our uh, company. And in my role at H2O, uh, well, today I kind of manage pretty much uh, everything from research and development all the way to you know sales and and anything in between. And, and, and how, what makes me, you know, very happy about today's podcast is that, you know, we, we do uh, in everything that we do, we do a lot of water use. You know? So we do drinking water projects and wastewater treatment projects, but uh, more and more every year, there's a, there's a, uh, a vast uh, majority, I would say today, there's a majority of our, of our projects on a yearly basis that are dedicated to reusing water. And, and we're really proud of that. So, yeah. Happy to talk about what are used today. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, if I'm correct, then Alejandro, you've obviously been brought into the company to, I suppose, assist in that effort. <laughs> yes, I am Alejandro Struniolo, Global Head of Water Reuse and Strategic Partnership at H2 Innovation, uh, Second Vice President and Board of Director International Desalination Association, and Vice President and Board of Director in Aradir, Reuse and Desalination Latin American Association. Uh, my background in chemical engineering, I, uh, I have a degree in marketing with more than 20 years experience focusing in marketing and product development in water and wastewater treatment. As you know, Lyle, I am very passionate about applying innovative solution to the problem plugging uh, the world of water. Then uh, several year, years ago, I started in 2006 to, to focus in water reuse. And I found that reuse is generally drought-proof. Excellent. So I suppose to to to, ju- to jump into this then, uh, and and to sort of get st- started straight off. Obviously, the topic of of conversation is very much centered around water reuse, and I suppose the challenges of implementation. Um, but I suppose just to give listeners, for those that maybe are less familiar, could you just give a quick snapshot summary of 
what water reuse is and, and obviously the, the difference that maybe some people, I don't know, maybe some people get a little bit confused when they hear water reuse and water recycling. Some class that is very similar, some class that is very, you know, slightly different terminology. But yeah, just as like I say, just for, for listeners to have a, a snapshot summary of what it is and what we're actually talking about today. That's a very good question. And uh, if this were uh, a written uh, report, we'd probably start with an index exactly, yeah. <laughs> to, to talk about the terminology that is required to even talk about water reuse. Uh, and it is vast and it is important to understand it is not yet completely defined in either. Um, so what is clear is that we all have a common understanding of, of certain general terms such as wastewater or drinking water or fresh water or seawater. I mean, but as you can see, there's a, there's a whole declination of waters and I'm not even getting into some of the more technical aspects of water, like distilled water, demon water, ultra pure water, or, or, or things like that. But at the end of the day, to me, when we talk about water reuse, is we basically talk about a water that, a type of water, whether it was gray, black waste produced, that was essentially sent back to the environment before, or, or right now, and that, with the help of technology and treatment, we are treating that water in order to be able to reuse it again, treating and or transporting. So even to a certain extent in, this, it's, in its simplest form, water reuse could be, could be seen as like at the household level, being able to cap rainwater and instead of letting it run off in the drain to, to, to be able to reuse it for irrigation. You know, it, that would probably be the simplest approach to water reuse all the way to the most sophisticated approach, which you know is what we've done on multiple projects here in California, the largest in the world, namely Orange County. I'm sure we'll talk about that later. But where we, we put a whole series of technological barriers and technologies, such as UF, RO, things along those lines, to, to convert and transform a water that was highly contaminated in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, water, in a product that is pure and, and could be called then recycled water, reclaimed water, any sort of that language again. So anything that 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 basically is used to to, to transform a water that we inject to, to 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 the to the drain, but that by changing our methods, implementing technologies, we're able to bring that water to good use again. That's water reuse in my view. And complementing Guillaume, uh, like we are drinking the same water than dinosaurs. The, the, the natural cycle of water is the famous reuse water process. It's a continuous movement of, uh, of water around the world through the process of evaporation, transpiration, condensation, precipitation, runoff, infiltration, and percolation. I don't know what happened that sometimes we forgot everything and we sometimes we question water reuse, but we, we already know before all the this process is uh, water reuse. I, I like what you're saying, Alejandro, because in reality, water reuse was happening by natural processes and, and is happening right now, but has always been happening, right? So, so in reality, when water reuse became a, a science, and that's probably what we're here to, today, it, it was to, to bring technology to fast track you know, and to find different ways to make the reuse that's happening in nature every day happen. You know? 
but it, it's already happening. There's, there's, uh, yeah. No, no, nobody, nobody's questioning when someone is drinking wastewater from the evaporation because you you receive that water every single day. I was just about to say, obviously, that the the water reuse that we're sort of referring to there then is just the natural water cycle, but increased or you know sped up through the implementation of various technologies. And like I said, we'll probably go on to to talk about those. Um, so obviously, we've just sort of defined that a little bit further. What would you say right now are the biggest or the greatest applications of water reuse? I mean, uh, Guillaume, you mentioned it quite rightly at the beginning that you've got water applications as well as water, as wastewater um, and sort of everything in between from, you know, the sort of municipal side through to industrial, through to agriculture. So where do you see the sort of biggest or greatest opportunity for water reuse? In, in my case, I, I am working in our market for more than 20 years and I was lucky and I participate in more than 40 reuse projects in mining, food and beverage, agriculture, textile, automotive, hospital, malls, universities, different industries. If I have to summarize everything, uh, it, is in, it is incredible how easy is the second project in, in, in each, in each uh, of this industry. The, the complicated, the, the complication, the complicated is all with the first one. Then uh, reuse water is is very very easy to apply reuse water in all industries, all industries. So I imagine there's no one size fits all solution to to everything. So all right then, I mean, if again you can take down, you can or we can go down whichever route you see fit for this one. But what are the main challenges? And again, I can appreciate that this will be very customer or sort of industry specific, but what are the main challenges when a certain customer was to adopt a, a reuse solution? You know, what are the main challenges that they're going to come across? So in terms of challenges, I'll, 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 I'll bring two important ones to the forefront. And to me, they're intrinsically linked together. And I'll explain why. Um, so Alejandro talked about industrial reuse, which is probably, you know, the, the, the industry out there is, 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 as of today, the, the biggest user of water reuse technologies. So in other words, we reuse more water for industries, whether it's mining, food and bev, uh, um, um, uh, microchips industries, all, there's more reuse happening in those locations than there is in agriculture or municipal applications. And those are the three big areas of, of water consumptions, agriculture, municipalities, and industries. So now moving to the challenge, let's go to municipalities. Why are we not doing more reuse, municipal reuse? Why are we not, you know, taking the wastewater, the, you know, outrageous amount of, of wastewater going into the sewers that ultimately get to currently wastewater treatment plants, it gets treated to a certain level, and then it gets discharged to the river or the ocean. Why are we not able to take that water that's already been treated, so of relatively good quality? By the time it's been treated today, it's, it's re, it will resemble rainwater in, in most locations, most modern cities, right? Like we're, we're treating it to secondary level. And so it's going to be similar to rainwater, you know, give or take, depending on where we are. Now, this water requires 
very little extra treatment in order to be able to reuse it again for landscaping, irrigation, uh, any industrial use that doesn't require like a high level of, of purity. And why are we not reusing it then? And, and here comes the first challenge. The challenge is piping infrastructure. So we have the solutions to treat it, but think about it. There's right now in all major cities, two sets of pipes. There's the drinking water pipe and there's the wastewater pipes. Those creates incredible networks, complicated networks of, of, of infrastructure that are highly, very, very costly. Costly to maintain, costly to put in the ground, and costly to operate, to, 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 to pump the water either to the switch plants on the switch network or in, in, into the, the drinking pressurized network. So the challenge is essentially that you need to bring a third set of pipe called, often called the purple pipe, Today, it's, it's getting a little bit more known when you see a purple pipe pretty much everywhere around the world, definitely North America and Europe, Spain. Purple has been the color for the, for the third pipe or the reclaimed water pipe. That pipe is going to be serving irrigation golf courses. All, all, all of the above. Now, it, you know, those networks are limited still as of today. The, the, in most cities, they're going to cover less than 10% of the area that's going to be covered by wastewater pipe or drinking water pipe. Okay. So the challenge here comes, find the time, find the place, find the money to establish that third purple pipe that is highly costly. And so very, very few cities and communities around the world have actually the economy that can sustain the implementation of that third pipe. Now that we understand this first challenge, the second one is, 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 is a lot more interesting in my view. And the second one is the psychological barrier to accept what is called direct potable reuse. So in other words, in a few places in the world, like Texas and Namibia and Africa, we are doing direct potable reuse. What does that mean? That means that we're taking the wastewater from the wastewater treatment plant of the city, the municipal wastewater treatment plant, treating it to a level that makes the water drinkable again, as per the accepted standards of of the uh, World Health Organization and or other regulating bodies. And by the time it, it reaches that drinking water state, we are able to re-inject it in the network, in the drinking water network again. That is direct potable reuse as compared to indirect, which indirect would be you treat it, but you you, you send it to a river or a lake and then you know you, you pick it back up again and, and then and then treat it to, to drinking water. So why is this second challenge very uh, interesting is that the reason why we're not re-injecting the treated water in the pipes, in the drinking water pipes, is not because it is technically infeasible. Technically, it is feasible. The water is drinkable. Myself, Alejandro, and any educated water professionals will go to those plants and will drink the water. As a matter of fact, I have a, a water bottle in my hand of, of water bottled from Orange County at the wastewater treatment plant, and I drink it I, you know, with no fear. So the water is drinkable. So why are we not putting it back in the pipe? It's just a matter of public acceptance. The public is not yet ready to accept that they're drinking water that has been once in the toilet, right? And, and this is solely psychological. And so the day that the society will evolve to a point where they find it okay and normal and acceptable to drink it, the regulations will be put in place in order for us to be able to put that treated water back into the drinking water pipe. And this is where it gets interesting. That solves our first challenge. 
Because the day that you can put the water back in the drinking water pipe, you don't need that third set of piping. You don't need the purple pipe. You can use the drinking water pipe. And so you, the psychological barrier is the single biggest challenge to water reuse acceptance or to direct potable water reuse acceptance in the world today. Just to jump in on that then, and I can, you know, it was one of the things that I had written down is obviously like the yuck factor when you've got uh, wastewater treatment and, and converting that into potable drinking water. Um, to what extent though, and again, I can appreciate this is very high level stuff, but how, how, how much more expensive is it to convert wastewater to drinking water than it is to convert wastewater into the uh, reclaimed water standard? so to speak, you know, the one that you could then have run off to sort of agriculture and, and irrigation and things like that. Does it completely offset the need to have the third pipe or is it not quite there yet? That's a very good question. The total cycle of, of wastewater treatment has this, I talked about secondary treatment. So the existing infrastructure that's treating wastewater right now, that has a cost, right? Uh, and, and depending on where we're at, it's going to vary. But, but essentially the cost of taking it from full wastewater, like the water that, that you flush down the toilet to the point of treatment where it's acceptable to be rejected to the river, that is essentially more than half of the cost of bringing it to a drinking water level. So roughly half. So in other words, to put it simple, if you double the cost of treatment, you know, from, from what we pay right now, you, you double it, you have water that's ready to put, be put back in the drinking water pipe again. So now think about that. Your drinking water plant has a, has a cost of treatment as well. And that varies a lot more than wastewater treatment. Why? Because it depends on the raw water source. So depending on if you're taking your raw water from a river, from you know a, a groundwater resource from, from the ocean, the cost of drinking water is going to vary. So in some instances, like for instance, in the Middle East, if you take that the drinking water from the ocean, if it's desalination, the cost of reusing water is of, of, of reclaiming, of, of transforming your water from reclaimed all the way to drinking is going to be less than your drinking water cost. If you're in Canada, like where I am, where, you know, we have abundant reserves of fresh water and I can basically dig a hole in the ground in almost anywhere and find you know, almost ready to drink water, then the cost of recycling the water is going to be maybe twice to three times more expensive than, than that almost, you know, that very, very cheap water. So, so it depends. But at the end of the day, what's important for the audience to remember is that it's not very pricey. It's not, it's not incredibly pricey. It's, we're already paying a lot of money to, to be able to discharge it to the river. Let's pay a little bit more and be able to keep it and reuse it for, for use and then save some money on our drinking water plants. So does it actually come down to the, the implementation of systems like this wouldn't necessarily need too much of an, a financial, in, you know, an injection of investment, so to speak, and it could be reclaimed over costs over, over however many years, for example? I certainly think so. I certainly think so that in most, I mean, every situation, every city is different. They have different economics of water, but in, in the majority of cases, I believe that of course, if you see it over one or five years, the initial investment is important. But if you see it over 30, 50 years, yes, there's a case to be made where it can be economically viable and, and, and it can actually be uh, like circular economy. Like you could be 
saving money in a lot of cases by, you know, reusing water, like reusing water directly into the drinking water pipe. So it, it would make a, a, an incredible uh, economic uh, sense in, in, in a lot of places, especially in places where the cost of water is already high. Well, that was, that was about, that was my next point was that it would be, I suppose, naive as to say that the price of water is going to come down, you know, over the next, however many years, it's, it's very unlikely that we're going to see the prices drop. So surely it becomes more economically, well, it makes more economic sense now for the future, as opposed to waiting for the, for the future. Exactly. And that's why the leaders in water reuse are places where there's water scarcity. And, and Alejandro talked about drought, drought proof, you know, a, a solution. It, it really is, you know, in California, there's been major droughts, Australia, major droughts, Africa, Middle East. And, and, and weirdly enough, those places are where water reuse is really taken off. Again, here in Canada, not proud of our country. We're not doing much in terms of water use outside of the industrial world. They're doing it to be, you know, good citizen, green citizens. But in the municipal side of things, there's just too much availability. So, uh, but it, but in places like California, where water is expensive, it makes economic sense to reuse. Absolutely, it does. How do you think that you change the social stigma then? That was obviously one of the points that you made earlier. It's not easy at all. As Guillaume said, we don't have probably to invest in transportation, water transportation, aqueducts. Just to give an idea, I used to live in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Below Buenos Aires, you know Buenos Aires very well, Guy you will find 16,000 kilometers of aqueducts. Just to give you an idea, 18,000 is the distance between Argentina, Buenos Aires, Ezeiza, and Shanghai. Then, in terms of investment, when you, we talk about to transport water, it's a question of where, where we can get the money. When we are talking about reuse, I don't know if you are, uh, if you have a, a idea about the, the investment between desalination and reuse. More or less, it's fifty percent. Let's assume, generally speaking, we spend twenty thousand dollar per cubic meter in desalination. In reuse, we will spend between eight thousand and twelve thousand. Then it's cheaper than desalination. And if you consider in some places, as Guillaume said perfectly because it's not the same everywhere. If you consider the transportation of the water, it's a very, very, very competitive application. And, it, and remember, it's drought-proof. Then all the we, 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 communication is very important. We have to convince the decision makers, uh, politicians, then for that reason, we are, we, we, we are committed with communication. It's not only membranes, pumps. We need more communication, education. Education is the key. Education is the key. Nobody study reuse at the university or at the school. It's very, very important. And I think this is the first step. This is the first step. I think there was... Um, um, you might have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure some senior leadership officials from the likes of Singapore quite openly came out and drank some of their reclaimed water, didn't they, to to try and publicize the, the sort of reuse strategy that they've implemented. So do, do you think that it's 
sort of acts of leadership like that that really change the social stigma or is it something else? It's part of it. It's certainly part of it. There's no doubt. It's got to be, uh, uh, you know, it's got to start from the top like, like, like anything else. It cannot be the only mechanism in which we educate the public, but it certainly helps. And, and I think Singapore, you're right. Uh, not only their, their leaders w- would drink the, the, the reclaimed water, they, they had an entire marketing campaign around it. They even, they even named and registered the trademark of their reclaimed water called New Water. So part of, the, part of the stigma and psychological barrier comes with the fact, the yuck factor, right? So the yuck factor, what is the yuck factor? Well, it's been in the toilet. It's like, you know, this entire thing doesn't really sit well in, in, in minds of, 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 of people these days. So they, they, they called it New Water. They branded it. They, they did an entire, like, uh, they, they bottled it. They, they, uh, around the marketing campaign, they had those little uh, characters, like little drops of water that looked like uh, animated cartoons that were really funny and, and, and looked really nice. And so the, 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 the young kids would, would see those and, and, and find it cool to drink New Water, not reclaimed water, not recycled water, to drink New Water. It's, it's New Water. It's cool. It's, it's trendy. So, yes, the leaders drinking it and showing to the rest of the population, hey, I'm doing it, so why aren't you? And not only in Singapore they did that, in California they did it as well. Um, at Orange County, which is a plant we should definitely talk about, it's the, it's the largest in the world. It's the one that everybody, you know, the rest of the world looks at in terms of state-of-the-art technology, state-of-the-art processes. The way they called it, Singapore called it New Water. In, in California, they hashtagged the, the, the reuse water get over it, you know, hashtag get over it. <laughs> so, so, and, and so it's different approach. They didn't rename the actual water, but they certainly didn't want to, they don't, you know, it, it basically says advanced purified water sourced from wastewater. All right. That that's, that's what it's called. So it's, it's long enough where people don't necessarily focus on the waste. It's advanced purified, advanced purified water. But the point is like, they're putting a lot of effort and money behind the get over it. Like, you know, it, it's water. Yeah, there was waste in it once, once upon a time, but today it's 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 super good water to drink. So, and every time a leader or a journalist shows up at the plant with a camera or a radio, they must be drinking the water. That's part of the contracts. Whenever somebody wants to visit the plant, in order to again show the population that it's okay to drink it. Well, I mean that ties in perfectly with what we were saying there. That it it is part of it, but it's certainly not the. The, the main overriding factor that's going to change the way that people view it. But at the, 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 at the end of the day, you will not find any, for example, microplastic in that water. And if you try an internet and you Google microplastic mineral water, you will see the famous brand mineral water in the world contains microplastics from the environment. Then you are paying mm. a very, very, very high water from the other continent sometimes. And we are questioning about the purest water in the world because <laughs> it, 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 it's funny. It's funny. Again, it's education because we can define the water because the source. It's just because the quality. Yeah, definitely. So... Uh, Guillaume, you mentioned obviously about this plant in um, in California, so I think it would be a good point to sort of go over that then. So can you give us a, an overview of that project and I suppose the scope of the, the project more generally? 
what the main purpose of it was and 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 timescales, you know, just a general overview really of, of that project. For sure, for sure. So the 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 project as it uh, stands today was built in. Uh, we we commissioned the project back in two thousand eight when I was actually living in California at the time with with my colleague, esteemed colleague, I should say, Paul Laverty, who was one of the inventor of the technology you know associated to, to water reuse. Um, and Paul was was overviewing the entire commissioning of that of that massive seventy mgd seven seventy million gallons per day. Um, so that in cubic meters per day for the international audience, it's well over 200,000, 200 MLD, so million liters per day. Um, uh, and, and so that plant was the result of 17 to 20 years of, of pilot research taking place there in California and Orange County. Um, the people working on that research project often refer to it as, as factory 21. So factory 21 was essentially the, the full-scale research center that was, you know, studying technology to make sure that that they knew how much it was going to cost and and that it was safe and and how how could would they approach the the entire process to have multiple barriers to stop all the viruses, all the contaminants of various of various sources, whether organic or inorganic, but that they were really able to remove everything that was harmful to to human consumption. Um, so took. You know, close to 20 years in the research in 2008, it was finally built and commissioned the first phase. Um, we were uh, extremely happy to, to, to participate in that. And, uh, and, and the, the process really, uh, you know, if I want to make it simple for, for today's uh, discussion, is three steps. You know, it's, it's first one is, is microfiltration. Uh, so essentially in microfiltration, what we do is we remove suspended solids, anything that's like still in suspension in the water, and also remove some microorganisms, the, the, the biggest ones that in, in, the, in the water. And then, and then after that, we basically go over to reverse osmosis, the second step. So microfiltration goes to reverse osmosis, and reverse osmosis is, is a much finer level of filtration, um, of membrane filtration. And in, in with, with, with RO, we, what we do is we remove uh, salts, ions that are dissolved in the water, uh, and also some, some much finer um, microorganisms such as viruses uh, and, and a lot of the uh, compounds of emerging concerns, often called CEC. So in, in there we have phenols, the hormones, things like that. And finally, the last step of treatment is uh, called advanced oxidation, and that's using ultraviolet lights in combination with hydrogen peroxide and, and those two things together essentially manage to destroy any remaining uh, soluble organics that may have gone through the, the initial two steps of process. So, so they're, they're, they're able to, to, to um, transform and, and some, some molecules that, that, that uh, could be left uh, in trace uh, after the, the initial two steps of filtration. So those are the three major steps. And obviously as part of the entire plan, there's a, there's a whole lot to it in terms of automation, in terms of monitoring of water quality, uh, a whole bunch of water parameters of con concerning the quality of the water are monitored on, on a hourly on basis, daily basis at, at any given time to ensure that there's absolutely nothing harmful left in the water at the end of the treatment plan. So, Roughly long project, uh, uh, hundreds of millions have been, uh, you know, um, put in uh, to to bring that project to life. And since the 2008 implementation, there's already been two expansions uh, 
So, you know, we started with 70 uh, MGD, but after the two expansions today, the plant is actually treating more than 120 million gallons per day of recycled water that's being uh, used for either recharging uh, the aquifer, so the, the groundwater that, that's being pulled by various municipalities along the coast, you know, we're, we're re-injecting the treated water into the ground to, 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 um, to, to, be, to be a source of, of drinking water for, for, for municipalities, and also uh, some reservoirs that are, that are uh, close by, that are uh, natural, natural and artificial reservoirs that are being uh, augmented by, by this source of, uh, of reclaimed water. That's it in a nutshell. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm assuming that this was cut like, you know, a municipality that you've been sort of working with or working through. What was the main driver f- for them adopting that technology? Was it water scarcity holistically or was it something else? So, very good question. Uh, I think the main driver was water, water scarcity, yes. But another big one there is very uh, specific to, to California is that the aquifer I talked about that was uh, that we reinject the treated water into is somehow connected to the ocean water. It shouldn't be, but what happens is with with California population growing and growing, growing now close to 50 million population, maybe even more. I haven't looked at the the latest numbers, but it's, it's a, it's a massive population there on the coast of California that is pumping water out of the ground, out of the aquifers. And in those aquifers, which was essentially the soil below, you know, all the, the cities that is full of, of, of water, when you remove the water from the soil, you, you create a... You, Marine interruption. Yeah, the, 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 the pressure of the water in the soil is, is, is lowering. And with that, the seawater starts intruding the aquifer. So mm. the salinity of the aquifer was increasing every year through the years because... Since there's water that's being fresh water, you know, that's being removed from the aquifer, the ocean water was starting to intrude progressively and increasing the salinity. And that that was terrible because a lot of farming, a lot of all the wells that that were used for for municipal water and agricultural water were starting to be brackish as compared to being fresh. And Mm. and, and so by re-injecting, we were re-establishing the hydrostatic pressure, ensuring that the seawater was not intruding anymore the 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 aquifer, so that was that was the driver there, the main driver there. Yeah. So so to to move it forward, then I'm just conscious of uh, of time for this one, but to move it forward and and looking ahead, what do you see as the biggest opportunities for yourselves, but for water reuse more generally in terms of application or customer segment, you know, more generally, Alejandro, maybe one for you this one. The biggest opportunity we have, we are facing a huge problem in California, is the drought. Sometimes it's, it's that easy that we complicate everything. That That is happening in the engineering world. Uh, we have everything. We have everything to solve at least most of the problem we are facing. And another thing that we didn't touch, and I think we have enough room for for another podcast, is the contamination. What we are doing today, delivering all wastewater in surface water or into the sea, we are contaminating a lot. We know that sometimes everything is not under regulation. 
and we have a lot of new contaminants. And moving forward with reuse, we could avoid uh, to have all these contaminants in the environment. Then I think we have a perfect match between reuse, drought, and avoid contamination. That I think is our number one priority. Another second priority, another second challenge is agriculture. We need more food, we need more water, then reuse has an amazing opportunity in that uh, field. I'm quietly glad, and I know I've now said it out loud, but I'm quietly glad you said drought because Obviously, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a common thing now that between now and 2050 or so, you know, the demand or the gap between demand and availability of fresh water alone is only going to widen. So I suppose this is a question for you both, and it'd be quite interesting to get perspectives from, from, from the two of you. Do you see water reuse as the main solution to close that gap between availability of fresh water? and the demand i do i certainly do i mean it, a, a well-balanced water portfolio will always have more than one source so to say water use will be the main it means it's not going to be the only one but it's going to be the most important one and by water portfolio what i mean is that any city any public officials any manager at any industry should always look at what's my water consumption and where does it come from? And, and you will never be able or very rarely be able to, to have a single source of, of water moving forward with, with increased water scarcity. If you can get, let's take a municipality, the entire amount of wastewater that you produce that's being reused, generally that sits at about 85%. So 85% of what you consume of drinking water, 85, if you consume 10 liters, you should have about 8.5 liters of wastewater that you produce. That's on average. It can be more or less. But that entire 8.5 should be reused. Mm. Then that leaves you with 15% that you got to get elsewhere. What do you get it? You know, do you get it with rainwater catchment? Do you get it with ocean water desalination? Do you get it with freshwater because you're lucky enough to have a river close by? So you're gonna you're gonna need to have that, but but if you can aim at reusing hundred percent of the wastewater you produce, you know, you're always gonna have a majority of the water that you need that comes from reused water. So yes, it is the main solution to me to water scarcity. Where you wherever you have water consumption, you generally have water rejection, wastewater of different sorts. Like reuse all of it, don't waste a single drop. And then the balance of what you need, the makeup, and often called soap makeup, then you get it with the most sustainable source available there. So, you know, if you say I reuse 100% of my wastewater and the balance I desalinate it, I'm in the Middle East, I will desalinate. That's the only source. Okay, great, you're sustainable. If you're, uh, you know, in, in Indonesia, in, sorry, in, in Singapore, they have the rain season, they can catch a lot of rainwater, so it can be the balance of, of, of their water. So, Always look at it as a, a full water portfolio management and put water reuse at the forefront of what you do is essentially the message I'd like any leaders, whether industrial or municipal, to be thinking about moving forward. In my, in my opinion is that it is the first option. The best example is South America. In South America, 
you have 30% of the water in the planet and you had at least 50% of South America without any water. Then if only Buenos Aires, if only Buenos Aires, you could find 60,000 kilometers of piping. It's not logical to think about South America without reuse. Then it's not only quantity, is transportation is on it's not only it's, it's, it, it doesn't rely on the source is the quality for in my point of view reuse is the first option for for our planet it's not only water we are we are talking about circular economy Andro, i think i think we you make a good point and and it really needs to be, uh, we need to put a lot of emphasis on that to me there's there's a duality between transportation and transformation and transportation is the enemy <laughs> we should never ever transport water when we have the ability to transform water locally and i say that because throughout the years so many and still today you hear about it happened recently in california public officials elected leaders or want to be elected leaders saying we're going we're gonna to transport water from this other source. Like it goes from things such as transporting icebergs from Antarctica all the way to, you know, we're going to uh, uh, have this really important piece of infrastructure like a canal where that we can divert some water from Mississippi River, Missouri River in, 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 in the U.S. It's Colorado has been used throughout yeah. the years. But today, now that we have technologies to treat, to transform, to reuse, to desalinate, we got to stop transporting. And what people need to remember is that transporting has a cost. It has a, a cost in terms of, you know, the, the power required to transport it. It has also an environmental cost. I mean, you, you don't build highways without some level of environmental impact. Well, it's the same thing. You, you don't build these massive pipes across an entire country without a, a, a form of environmental impact. If you have water locally, whether it's produced, waste, gray, black water, any sort of water that you wouldn't use because of the yuck factor, transform it before you try to transport from somewhere else. So decentralization of, of water management and wastewater management is, is, is very important. Anytime anyone here, somebody projecting to transport water from a location to another one, you got to remember, it's probably going to cost more to transport it. And it's probably less environmentally friendly than to take the water that I have available here and 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 treat it, transform it to make it reusable again. I um I think there's some really quite relevant points made up towards the end there. I think the best one, Guillaume, was just trying just uh, sorry, uh, just uh, change everything. <laughs> exactly, just reuse everything. Um, but I think, you know, that's a very good point uh, or a good place to end today. So uh, I just want to say thank you very much, Guillaume. Thank you very much, Alejandro. And, and thanks to H2O Innovation for, for joining us today. Um, obviously, if any of our listeners do have any questions or comments, then please free, do feel free to get in touch. Um, but I will let you both get on with, uh, with the rest of your day. Thank you both very much for joining us. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Lyle. And thank you to CM Industrial for having us. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care. Cheers. So that was my conversation with Alejandro Stagnolio. 
and Guillaume Claret from leading water and wastewater technology company H2O Innovation. I'd like to thank Alejandro and Guillaume for their time and fascinating insight into water reuse. If you've got an opinion on any of the topics discussed, I'd love to hear about it, so please do get in touch. This podcast has been provided by CM Industrial, a global search firm with a specialised team dedicated to the water industry. For more information about our services, please go to searchingindustrial.com. That's it for myself, Lyle King. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye for now.